Matthew Anderson, I have a question for you. Would you say that when we do the podcast, I'm more of a Dyatlov, Sherbina, or uh, Legasov? Mm, Dyatlov, Sherbina, or Legasov. <laughs> let, me give, let me give me a second on that one. You know, I, I do think you oscillate between between some of these two. Mm-hmm, yeah. I think we all have a little bit of Legasov and Sherbina and Dyatlov in all of us at different times. Yeah, I think you're probably right. I think you I think you probably lean a little more towards um uh, Sherbina. Our boy. <laughs> our big Swedish boy Sherbina. And I talk so I start talking like this. Uh, I only got another year left. Yep. Man, what a <laughs> uh, boy. stellar performance. Ah, it's very good. You can Talking almost rename him from Stellan to Stellar. You know, Dean. You were fuck. having such a good time, and you just came in and <laughs> broke everything. Fucking, you ran into my house, and you threw confetti in you everywhere, but whoops, the confetti was made out of used toilet paper scraps, and you just fucking, you thought it was fun, and now it's just a goddamn mess we gotta clean up. <laughs> fucking, it's everywhere. I just barfed. <laughs> That's pretty wild. This is funny on a live show. Whoo, good, good thing there's a lot of people here to hear it. Whoa, boy, that was really funny. I thought, it's funny, you, you said that confetti was made out of toilet paper, and I thought you were going to say something like, 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 I thought you were going to go real dark and just be like, and it was soaked in gasoline, and you burned my house down and killed my family. <laughs> what am I, the so fucking I, red dragon? So as I was thinking of that, I just started spitting out my <clears throat> protein shake, which I don't recommend. On the basement floor, at least it's at least it's, <coughs> at least it's not the um. Uh, wow, looks like I, I'm not gonna lie. Looks like I shit on the floor. Because uh, do we need a, a minute? I think we no, need a minute. No, I'm good. We we'll just we we'll just shuffle it over. We cover it with paper towels and we keep pressing on. Uh, you think we're gonna quit? <laughs> are we miners? You think we shut this place down for safety? Never. Are, are we miners or are we men of statecraft, Matthew? We're miners. <laughs> oh, that's so uh, good. Yeah. So I take it it was a chocolate shake. <laughs> chocolate with oatmeal and a banana. So that really does just look like straight dookie oh, on the floor. Absolutely. <clears throat> yeah. Wow. Okay. Okay. That was funny because I was just thinking about we do all oscillate between the three, don't we? It's true. Everybody, no. <laughs> fuck the fuck the good wolf and the bad wolf. Everybody's got Legasov, Dyatlov, and Shabina in them. So <laughs> we're all made of. Like, I, who do you who do you feed the most? The most cigarettes is who you become. <clears throat> I get Dyatlov. I think. <laughs> <laughs> of course. We find our way to the end of this, and Dean says, I get Dyatlov. Dude, come on. So Dean watches Downfall, and you're like, I get why he's mad. Absolutely, I get why he's mad. It's crumbling around him, right? This paradise he's built. So much ambition, and darn, look at that. Look at it go. You know, maybe... Maybe Hitler should have killed 21 million Russians and he would have been more successful. But no, what I'm trying to say here is um, even the devil needs an advocate, Matthew. <clears throat> no, that's true. But what oh, I mean by that... misguided Dyatlov. Yeah, he's misguided, but it's almost like, in a way, Legasov is basically kind of saying, yes, he created this terrible situation, but the AZ-5 button should have done its job. Right. That's actually what I really love about this. this <clears throat> uh, the truth coming out exposes 
that there isn't really just one villain. Like I love that. Yeah. Like, if the if the conspiracy just proved like, well, actually, yeah, it was just Dyatlov, and he was shitty and bad, and he was trying to cover up for himself because of greed for power. It's like, well, okay, but like that's boy, that's still kind of a that's an easy solution. That's pretty black and white, and and I mean, it, this really is the truth that yeah, it was a combination of operators being reckless and and pushing it too far, way right. you know past the boundaries of the safety checks. But at the same time, this still wouldn't have fucking exploded if they had known about and corrected the design flaw of the core itself. Yes. If the AZ-5 button was to work and it went back in and there wasn't, <clears throat> I guess, the graphite tips as we're led to believe, then it would have started to neutralize the chain reaction. Right. That, Which I mean, it, we've with talked a about it before right? They call it a scram button in a nuclear reactor. But, right. But Dyatlov is, knows this, and that's... You know, it's it's weird to think, how could he be so... He is... Listen, the AZ-5... The AZ... The AZ I'm trying to be British. The AZ-5 mm-hmm. button, honestly, is not an excuse for all of his behavior. He's just a shit dick. <laughs> right. <laughs> and consequently, it's it's that desire to raise his power politically that makes him so terrible. Um, which is an indictment on the entire system as far as I can see. But truthfully, bad men in bad, there's bad men in bad places. And then there's some good men in bad places and vice versa in all combinations of that. And, mm-hmm. um, but he still thought, <clears throat> no matter what, if I told you, Matt, we're, we're doing all this crazy stuff. And at the end of the day, I could just hit this button. It, it'll stop. It's right. fine. <laughs> right. Right. That's his confidence. And, even him saying in the beginning here that 25 years, and, and this is probably going to be pretty free form, I think, right? <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't I'm feeling it. Yeah, I'm feeling we should probably just talk about episode five in generality because it's only we're going to talk about the parts. We just got to talk about the shit that happens to these characters. And also, and I say this <laughs> in a good way, but most everything that happens in this episode is, uh, is kind of a foregone conclusion <laughs> before you yes. start. Yes, You kind of know what's going to happen, and that's okay. Uh, and that's kind of, I think, part of the point of it, of, of, of characters like, like Asov choosing to do it anyway. Yeah, man. I, I absolutely agree with that. But um, there's so much going on here, you know. Uh, there's, oh, yeah. there's a lot of, there's a lot of, I feel like this episode, first of all, high, high level episode overview. I really enjoyed this conclusion to a miniseries. And it just goes to show you that the more finite, the more complete and satisfying and tight the whole thing just ends up being right five episodes right. man perfect so tight solid yep and it's, and, and it's an interesting choice too to, to make this final episode the one that fills in all of the gaps of the first one too it makes it very it feels very complete in that way like we are coming back to where we started and the entire picture is now here mm-hmm. and we get to see you know, for the most part, we're just sort of seeing resolution. Uh, some of the, some some of the, I guess you'd say, ethical and moral struggles, and then decisions they make when they are testifying uh, in front of the mock trial, as it were. But um, there are some moments of seeing Perpiet before, and the people playing, and realizing, you know, <laughs> what was going to happen, and. Instead of putting us right in the middle of this thing and seeing the aftermath of it, one of the things we have not seen in this in this show because of the way they've shot it is what happens like before it, and mm-hmm. <clears throat> it's not utterly necessary, which is why I liked the way they shot this 
as is in that we didn't need all this to wrap our heads around how horrible this is. We can relate to this. We can understand how horrible this would all be at the setup. Right. But to see sort of people running around and life being peaceful as we know it ahead of time, it's, uh, I think it's well-timed in the finale as a reminder as to what we've done here with, with, with so much, uh, the, the, it's funny, boy, this, this episode really slammed home for me. Just the, the idea of how corrupt the Soviet state was back in the day and in the, in the whole incentive structure, the way the whole thing is set up to incentivize people and what they're willing to do because it's like everybody's, it's like everybody is part of the, is part of the collective. So it's like, regardless of what you do and or don't do, other people are ahead of you in the collective, no matter what. It's like, it's almost like you're all opted into this game and you all are, have a rank. There's no opting out of the game, right? <laughs> you're in the goddamn game. <clears throat> right. Right. Yeah. And I love it. You know, and he sees it as the only way <clears throat> is up. I got to keep going up. Right. Absolutely. No matter what. Right. And for, and, and we don't know his reasons. We don't know his motivation for that. Um, it could be, because he wants less people over control of his life, right? Right. Could be. <laughs> it could be. So, he didn't, he didn't, he seemed, oh man, he's so interesting to observe Yatlov working, isn't it? <laughs> right. Just the way he's so dismissive, the way he's so, uh, he has such a, he's so blinded by the structure. It's funny, man. And it, it is. He he's he's allowed himself to be blinded by the structure, which is I have twenty five years of of experience doing this. You don't even have five or whatever he says. The point being, I, I my my experience far outweighs yours. <clears throat> right. And and I trust that. And I also trust that you are where you are because you must not be good enough. You must not be smart enough. Right. It's funny, man. It's funny that they think in this hierarchical structure. And it's so rigid, very rigid. <laughs> and I think you know one thing that I know uh, Craig Mazin wanted to include in the series and didn't have the time to was about how uh, Dyatlov actually had gotten radiation sickness before, years before, when he was working on sub, uh, radioactive submarines, and actually you know got a dose of radiation there, and then had to recover from that and come back. And I think that. And even though they didn't have time to put it in the show, and it's not a crucial thing, but I do think it's an interesting part of who he was. I can imagine him just kind of at this point in his career being like, I want to be hands off of this direct shit. Put me in an office, make me a boss. I don't want to be here. Sure. And that's kind of how he seems. Like the way he's talking to these guys, he's just like, you all fucking do it. I don't want to, I don't want to have to be here. But he comes down and, and chooses to personally supervise <laughs> this test because he wants to get it done because he sees this test as his ticket to promotion. Right. Absolutely. Elevate. And, and not just promotion. I mean, that's what's so crazy about this thing, man. It's not, it's politics. It's not just promotion within some sort of company. Right. Right. This goes all the way to like a state level thing. Right. And that's, what's so crazy about this whole thing. I'll tell you, you know, since our last recording, I watched a tour of a nuclear power plant at Harvard run by students. And it's really awesome, man. It was real. It's super high tech, right? Of course, much, much more than this one that we're dealing with here. And it was cool just watching it, um, watching the use of the dosimeters, watching how they had to wear certain things in certain areas. At one point they get right right near the core and they're looking down at like 10 feet of water. And um, 
they had never let anyone in like that before, or they rarely let people in like that before, this guy who was filming it. And it was really cool. And it was like, you know, just a bunch of, uh, a bunch of engineering students, a bunch of, um, the, uh, the women to man ratio was, was pretty even, at least from the people they showed us. And, um, the, one of the girls in charge running a shift was like a, a kid. She's like 20 something. <laughs> and you just go, man, that is insane to think about. What made me think about that was, was me having, I guess, almost a negative commentary about how is this 20 something year old kid in charge of this? And then I think about the level of education and sophistication and the technology now and how it is. And, and she was talking about, oh, I had to get certified in this on a state level. Then I had to get certified in this on a federal level. Then I had to take this test to show my competency. And it's one of those things where you sit in front of a board, she was describing. And if you don't show competence in understanding this thing and, and, and they, they try to stump you, you don't get certified. I mean, you're standing before people and, and trying to, and they're trying to trip you up, I guess, is the way I was understanding it. Damn. And then she's just like, here's what I do. And here's my shift. Here's what happens. And, you know, a ton of it's automated now, but it's pretty wild. You know, you, you see, um, just, just to see and hear some of the similar terminology. It's, it's interesting. I've, I know more about nuclear reactors, which is nothing by the way, more than I have <laughs> my whole life. And it's kind of interesting to think about it started because of this show, not just, not just, you know, not just the history of Chernobyl, <clears throat> whatever may or may not be true. I, who knows? But, um, and then just some of this reaction stuff and watching videos about it. And it's really fascinating because, you know, it, it's, there's so much going on in the show when they're talking about, let's talk about, um, let's talk about lies and deception and cover up and this and that. And it's funny that Dyatlov, we, we hounded Dyatlov for being unwilling to accept fact as it stood in front of his face. But at the same time, he's also been giving fact, which has been a lie from the state. And that's the crazy irony of this whole show. Is that right there to me? Yeah. That the fact is, is a fucking (laughs) presented as fact is a lie. Right. He didn't believe what was happening because of fact, because of lie presented as fact given to him by the, by the committee who just was like the AZ five button's going to work. No worries. Not, not that the graphite tips are going to be a problem. Right. <laughs> it's so it. crazy, man. Like he, 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 he's like, I don't believe what's happening because I know it's impossible to happen because that's the lie I've been sold, which is interesting because he's a smart guy. Yeah. I love, he seems like an educated hombre, but at the same time, it's, you know, the design, some of the design specifications of this stuff, he probably doesn't know as, as much about it as you think he does, you know? Right. Well, that's, you know, that's the thing we have to harp on again, too, is that this was a situation that had never happened. They'd never pushed a a, a reactor to the level that this one was at, at such a low power. <laughs> mm-hmm. So it's like they're dealing with variables that at that point are all like, theoretical. They're like, we think this is how it will go. It's designed to be this way and act this way. We think we've never had to actually do it. Right. And the graphite tip thing was a thing that they assumed uh, it's almost like they knew that, though. The state kind of was like, well, this could be a problem, if I'm not mistaken, because oh, yeah. it was all no, redacted that's, that's, out. Right. That was the whole revelation of, uh, you know, who Legasov was talking about, Volkov. Volkov's Volkov, paper yes. was the one that presented this, but the state crushed it down because they were like, well, we'd have to retrofit everything and we might look stupid, so nah, we're just not going to do it. We're not going to talk about it. And I think, you know, they probably looked at it and went, well, it's so unlikely that it's probably going to be fine. But... They still, that's just a fucking gamble. 
Yeah, it's a huge gamble. And um, it doesn't pay off too well. And in, in this in this episode, this episode, man, is is so fascinating to me. I love I love this stuff. With um, we see before the title screen on Chernobyl, I like seeing the 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 other part of this, which is what Kamyak describes so well, which is the human factor, which is Fomin and Brukhanov and Dyatlov, and you know Fomin and, and Dyatlov talking about how Brokhanov's going to get a promotion because they're going to run this test. And because mm-hmm. of this, there's going to be an opening. And Dale was like, well, I'm in on that. I want that. And, <laughs> all, and, and, and it became like all three of these guys were in lockstep because they really wanted this. They wanted this to this promotion to go. And it's funny because, you know, we, we look at these three guys as, as, as being like the guys who are responsible for the whole thing. Right. Right. It, and and we've seen them interact and act and and they suck basically, <laughs> right? That's that's kind of what we feel as we watch this. We don't really feel much redeeming qualities from these guys. But like you said, there's probably a, a bunch of mitigating factors and things we don't know about them personally enough to what motivated them. But I can assure you that the structure of the state is a part of the problem, which is either creating men like this or at the or, or if I'm being generous, uh, attracting men like this. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, because, I mean, I, you got to imagine that this is the way they behave. And I mean, and if this thing didn't go wrong, if the, if the, like, even, uh, you got, one thing that's interesting to think about is that even right. if all that had happened was that the reactor did start to become too reactive and they did still do all of these, these procedures to try and get control of it. And not even press the AZ5 button, but they just didn't fully pull out all of the rods and, and left them partially submerged and it and it stayed fine and nothing happened. Then these guys would have gotten their fucking promotion. Like they and even at that point, the test was unstable and we're not gonna give good, clear results that were probably reproducible. But that's what Dialov was looking for was well, the test is technically complete. We finished the test, sign off on it. Yep. Thanks for the promotion. Off we go. Yep. Like not trying to hurt anybody, just trying to get his. Yeah, yeah. And you got to imagine that's what they were all just thinking. Like this isn't going to hurt anyone. It's fine. It's the way things are done, and we'll just keep doing it. And that's the hierarchical structure of this entire thing. Is a lot of these guys were just like, let's just just keep your head down and work until maybe you get an opportunity, right? And then seize the opportunity. <laughs> yeah, and that's the crazy thing about this, you know. In in the way Dyatlov threatens Tupchinov and and uh, uh, the other guy here, it's just brutal because he says, "I will, I can crush you entirely." Right, crush out your entire career. It's really hard to do that if you're not talking about the government. <laughs> right, that right. will brand you. I'll brand you, and I will make sure that your life is ruined, KGB or otherwise. It's just scary, man. That kind of. <laughs> that structure you find yourself in, it's really difficult. And, and you know, you can fuck up and and you can really hurt your career in things. You really can, but there's always other ventures out there. But if the state controls them all and somebody has pull in the state, then suddenly you have no options. Right, right. Creepy. It's all reporting back to the same place. Right, exactly. Centralized control of the economy. Boy, sounds like such a great idea. I'm glad people are marching the streets in America for it. They are they are awesome. High five, guys. <laughs> Fucking idiots. But um, yeah, I um, it is. It, it it's funny. You know, you 
you don't, you don't, yes, Dyatlov gets, you give the impression he's a, he's a shit bird. And he is, you know, I was being very hyperbolic when I said I was going to defend him. But what I do want to do is try to understand him a little bit, if that makes sense. It's like, it's like the serial killer thing. You know, people aren't defending them. They're just trying to understand them. Like, what the fuck, man? How <laughs> right. could you what chop off you your tick? mother's head? You know, you have it perform fellatio on you and then bury it in the backyard. Like, what? What <laughs> is going on, man? <laughs> what are the steps that lead there? Right, right. What? What kind of childhood did you have? <laughs> but, but yeah, this this stuff, this this stuff is scary, and it's the stalling of the reactor, if I'm not mistaken. And that's what happens, man. They stall the reactor the power starts to dip way down below the threshold for the test, which is 700 megawatts, I guess. Right, right. And, and been- they're in like the 200 range. So he's saying, you're stalling my fucking reactor. So they pull the controls out to restart the fission. Right, because the control rods are keeping the reactivity low. And you remove them, the reactivity goes up, you're gonna, the power is going to go up. So yeah, right. they, they completely withdraw Almost all of the, the control rods, I think 205 out of 211. Crazy. There's only six that are still in there. Right, right. And, and that's to, it's, it's, like, um, it's like he says in the testimony, which we'll talk about in a more structured fashion, because I like the three entries by the three main characters. Yeah. Um, so we'll, we'll kind of be specific about that. But as he says, the car, the car break is, is a good layman's way to describe it. So you can sort of viscerally understand that. Right. Breaks. Right. Right, the brakes for the car to slow it down. You're basically not only are you taking the brakes off, but you're putting your feet on the dashboard. <laughs> right, you're making it a real challenging difficulty to uh, to now stop this thing that begins. It's exactly. it's the brakes on a trailer truck that's going downhill with a full load is probably a better way to think about it. <laughs> right, the, the inertia of that is going to get worse as it goes on, and the, even the brakes alone aren't probably going to be enough. Correct. Yep. yep. Absolutely. But um, we do um, we do know that our guy is uh, heading in. In in Kamiak, boy, she really lays it down for him, doesn't she? <laughs> comes in fucking hot, and she tells she Kamiak tells Legasov essentially you have to throw yourself on the altar of truth even mm-hmm. though it is surrounded by knife-wielding statists who want nothing to do with the truth. Right. I mean, right. I get it. I get what she's doing. I get I get what she's trying to say here, but boy, when it's not your head. <laughs> exactly. Whew. Exactly. And, uh, you but know, it, this has been mm-hmm. coming up in the past, right? This this is one of the things Trubina said, which was, you know, morality changes when you're facing the bullet. And uh, right, and that test was set up, and and Legasov, he boy, does he go for it with gusto? He does, man. Uh, the lead up to that is so fucking good. But yeah, I mean, like you said, I mean, she lays it on him in the sense of not just you should do this, you need to do this, even though it, it's a risk, obviously to you, but even that you're the only person that can do this. You're the only person in the position of of knowledge, of who understands the situation, how it came to be, and who was there on the ground and saw its, you know, what it was doing uh, when it did explode. You're the only person that can explain it and have real credence. So she's like basically laying it on him of like, even if I fucking testify, it's not going to matter, like if you do. Right. Absolutely. And boy, who do we see, man... 
Who do we see going over these presidings? My boy, Roosh Bolton, with a great voice. This dude is a great bad guy in uh, Game of Thrones. He's amazing. And uh, boy, he's got a great voice. I <laughs> love this guy has such stage presence. Which one is he? Is he the prosecutor or is he yes. the, like the kind of the judge? The prosecutor. The prosecutor. <laughs> yeah, he's terrific. Um, <laughs> the commanding presence man there down below. But uh, I like this. I like that we're going to get to see our guy, uh, Vichnaya Pamyat, the name of the episode. That means something, right? It means something about a memory. Fuck, dude. I didn't look that up. <laughs> How fucking shit on me. I have it right here. It eternal mean, memory. Eternal memory. Yep, there it is. Pretty cool. Eternal. Eternal that memory. Cool. <laughs> yeah, fucking A. But um, yeah, this <laughs> this whole start is so good with Sherbina kind of laying it down. <laughs> <laughs> they bring out the model for him. And he describes <laughs> it, you know, it, it, it began as a safety test of all things. Um, direction number four was not new when the accident occurred. In fact, it went to operation on December 20th, Matthew, 1983, 11 days later, on the last day of the year, plant director Viktor Brukhinov signed this document, certifying the completion of the construction of the reactor, he says. Oof. Okay. Well, That's what does it. that mean? And he says, well, because he finished it before the end of the year, um, well, he was going to be get awarded the hero of socialist labor. <laughs> Comrade Fomin was awarded for valorous labor. And Dietlov got the Red Banner, the Order of the Red Banner. Not to be confused, the Red Baron. Indeed. And this was a lie. They should not have signed the certificate. Right. And this is the human piece that Kamiak's going to talk about in a minute here. But it was essentially all tests were successfully completed. But there was still the one that remained, which of course is the fateful one. <laughs> yep, the last one. And he kind of talks about how the whole thing works in a very basic level that he understands it. Uh, but he's talking about the core's heat turns water to steam, steam spins, these turbines spin, we convert kinetic en energy into electricity, and uh, he goes, so that's how it works. But what happens if there's no power in the power plant? What if right. the power plant itself doesn't get a blackout, whatever, foreign attack? What happens then? This is kind of the first time we've ever heard anybody explain what the test was about. Also, like like the scenario that the test is is being done to prepare for, and that's what they're talking about. Of that, if there was a blackout, even for the the power plant itself, yes, they have diesel backup generators, but they take approximately a minute to reach the speed required to prevent a meltdown. Mm -hmm. And so what they, they, they plan to do here is to have basically the, the steam turbine turning as it's powering down. Once it's lost power, it would still be turning a little bit uh, from like the, the leftover steam that's still there. And that that should be enough power to bridge the gap of 60 seconds of there not being any power before the generators kick back in. That's all it's here for, to cover that gap of, of 60 seconds. Right. Yep. Yeah, it's crazy to think about. We we think about the irony of of boy, it's a it's a power plant. It generates nuclear fucking power, fission. How oh, is it, it unable power? to power itself? How is it out of the power of essential components? Which the the pumps, the the water. He's talking about the coolant system. 
Essentially, right. you can't move if without it, you're going to have nuclear disaster because if the pumps don't have power, the water doesn't move, it heats up, and now you have a problem. Right. So The water's got to be constantly flowing through. It can't just be sitting there. So like you said, some diesel generators, no problem. They'll fire up and they'll get everything going. And, um, you know, there's only one minute required. It takes about a minute. Um, so what we're going to do is you convert the power from the, from the turbine spinning down in the nuclear reactor to continue cycling the water. Pretty cool. So essentially convert the dying power into something to maintain the heat being low enough. I mean, the, 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 uh, the turbine spinning low enough, which is cool. Right. And using that, basically the, the leftover energy before yes. that turbine, you know, shuts down itself, but that last couple of swings to power that 60 second gap yep. so that they never have a, you know, a moment of no power at all. Right. Because the, the chances of three backup generators failing is very slim. Right. You'd fucking I hope mean, this, so. the Jesus. statistics must be in the millions. Right. <clears throat> so what are they going to do, Matthew? Well, they're going to simulate a blackout. That's the point. Exactly. By bringing the power way, way down, because it's supposed to operate at 3,200 megawatts. Uh, and they're, they've already brought it down. Like when we cut back to that, that scene of them 10 hours before the explosion, they'd already, I think, brought the power down to half. It was already at 1,600. And for the test, they're going to lower it down even lower to 700. That's where yep. the test is supposed to, to be initiated. And it's important to note that this test has failed many times. And it failed a last time on April, what was it, 26, 1986? Yes, that was the last one. Shabina has set the table, right? He's, he's put this thing where it needs to be. He's, uh, he said they failed their, all of their tests, including the last one, which was a big one. Whoops. <laughs> and That's, that one was a failure, as you all know. That was a big old failure. That's why we're here today, actually, guys. So thanks for that. <laughs> <laughs> the reason we're all in this courtroom in irradiated Chernobyl city proper uh, is because the fourth test also didn't work out. Also, how Russian is it to do it there? You couldn't do it in Kiev? Dude, that was a crazy fact on Craig Mazin's podcast where they were talking about according to, to Russian law, a part of it was that you couldn't be to, – to try a case and you're like indicting you know, people, you can't try them too far away from where it happened, whatever the crime, sure. alleged crime is. It's got to be within that district. So they had to fucking go within Chernobyl. They're 22 kilometers from mm. fucking the power plant, which is like, you really couldn't make an exception for this one? You gotta drag everybody into the courthouse in this fucking place. It's nuts, man. Crazy. It's nuts. Yeah, it's because they want to make sure that the trial has integrity. <laughs> right. Yes. Yeah. We have to get joke. good jury. We have to get good jury whose verdict we hand to. <laughs> okay, dudes. Okie dokes. Listen, we aren't monsters. We just tell them what to vote, but we do allow them to not have to drive far to get here, or rather, take bus. Because nobody it's buys fair. cars. <laughs> Unless you're uh, in the party as a big shot. Then you get a car. <laughs> Good climbing. So, what do you think of Kamiak? She's, she's giving these guys a break. She's saying, imagine if like our countryman, whatever the hell his name was, had no instructions before being shot into space. <laughs> what do you think about that? How would they fucking handle it? Right. <laughs> 
Yeah, this is good. And her pointing out the that I think it's Top Tanoff who had only four months of experience on the job at all, twenty five years old, not told about the parameters of the safety test, not even really having it explained to them. With several of the guys that we find out later on who were actually on the the floor of the the new the control rods itself, didn't know a, a, a safety test was being run at all. We're never told. Nope. Everybody out of the loop on this. <laughs> Justin in the chat says, so this means Yetlov isn't getting his promotion now? <laughs> God, he raises his hand in the courtroom. I don't get promotion. It's so crazy. Yikes. He, so he got sentenced to 10 years, but he died in 95, so he died in prison? Hard labor. Labor camp. Yay. <laughs> Good way to go. Awesome. While you're radiated and puking to death. And that's got to suck too. He was in he was in hard labor after the Soviet Union fell, and he's like, "I'm fucking still in here." Shit. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, tell me about uh, Kamiak here. Tell me about her uh, her testimony. She's man, fucking like she says, hammering down on the human element of this. Uh, and that Dyatlov had, was pretty much just bombarding them with this, demanding that they do it, press forward, regardless how much they were uncomfortable, didn't understand it, and really couldn't even ask questions. Um, I like that. I like that, you know, we get the background of the three men, of Foman, of Brukhanov, uh, and Dyatlov from Sherbina, and Kamluk, Kamyuk pretty much comes in to lay out the groundwork of the men in the control room and yeah. everybody else inside uh, the facility and how they were having to deal with it. Yeah. And, and the progression from there of, of Legasov carrying on when, with what the core was doing itself and how that works. But yeah, she's essentially explaining the human element of how could these men have ever been expected to handle the situation the way it was presented to them. Right. She's, she, and she describes it, you know, at midnight, there was basically a shift change. She talks about that. Um, and she says, these guys are rolling in totally blind. Right. No idea. Yeah. And we see Akimov having to even explain to him that, yeah, they're, they're doing a safety test. It was supposed to be day shift, but now it's us. And uh, yeah, so I'm still looking at the instructions right now before right. Love walks in the room. Which, which has redacted instructions in it. I mean, what a, what a mess. What a slipshod mess. Right, dude, such a fucking disaster. Yep, and uh, he even says, "Listen, we we've been given it. We've been giving given this task. And oh, by the way, this has never worked before. We don't know how to do it. But I guess <laughs> we're just going to take it down to seven hundred and hold it there. And then uh, Jetlov is going to be supervising, which bothers Tupchinov, which shows Jetlov has a bit of a reputation. Oh yeah." Probably but, not good relations with any of these dudes. In, in Akimov is saying, don't worry, buddy, I've got your back. And I like this. I like this. Uh, I like the camaraderie between these two guys. And, and, you know, it seems as if Akimov is looking out for him as much as he can, the young guy. Yeah, right. Because you, you got to imagine Akimov's not much older. Right. And I just love the way he's like, I have a, I have a manual here to do this. So <laughs> uh, should I follow the instructions or should I follow all the instructions or <laughs> just do what I say mm. don't care just fucking read what I say and do it you'll fucking just do fuck. it just <laughs> fucking do it just fucking do it I gotta go sit on a can and smoke a, smoke <laughs> one of me fags mate so fucking <laughs> just do it <laughs> I wanna sit and dump out a liquidy stool and smoke <laughs> another cigarette 
I can assure I you I don't have good nutrition. <laughs> I don't I mean, care. I basically look like you'd imagine a werewolf except a weasel would look like. <laughs> and he just throws the book across the room like, what a douche. Throws what? it at him. And I mean, what an impossible situation. For one, on any job where you have a, a boss or a superior who you literally can't ask a question. Like, well, that's mm-hmm. already just problems are going to arise because you're the person with the knowledge that they have to look to for leadership and to answer questions, and they can't ask you questions. They're your, you know, they're your lesser employees. They they don't know. <laughs> you're the one who has to provide the answer. What's his problem, man? I don't get. He's just that's what I was talking about at the beginning. Like, I think he is so he is so ready to be hands off of the work itself. Like he does not want to be in this control room. Even I think he's only, he only offered, um, you know, to personally supervise this and help it run to make sure that it got run so they could get this promotion. Like he doesn't want to be there. He's like, I begrudgingly showing up to be like, fine, let's make this fucking thing happen. So I don't have to ever come down here again. Do you think it's just one of those things that's just so simple to him and as far as he's concerned, so below him, so beneath him. <laughs> That's that part of it. He had to get called in to do this thing. And as far as he can tell, he's dealing with incompetent children who, if they just ask dumb questions, I have no time for it. I have no time for this. I'm too important. Just do what hmm. I say. I want to get this done. Why are you asking me questions about things you don't know anything? You have no frame of reference. You're a child. Stop <laughs> asking me. <laughs> right. And I think a part of it is that he thinks this is simple. Like this this particular test in and of itself is supposed to be a simple test and it shouldn't be a big deal. should be able to just go and we'll be done with this fucking whatever. I think he even has the line of, in a few minutes, it'll be all done. And like he assumes it's going to take like five minutes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We're just going to run this and it's going to be fine. And when you think about it, you know, the way Sherbina lays out the test and everything, that yeah, this is a test to cover a gap of power loss that's 60 seconds of a power loss. So if the test ran perfectly, the test would probably only take like a minute and a half, two minutes, and it's done. And he's like, yeah, I can toss my fucking hands off and lay forever. Fuck you fucking pipsqueaks. I don't care. I'm Australian now also. <laughs> I hope this promotion gets me back in the outback. Get me back to the outback. Get me back to the outback. But uh, <laughs> those were his last words, actually. It's very tragic. It's funny that we're doing uh, a Russian engineer who's got an English accent that we're doing as Australian. This is getting real convoluted. I can't follow. <laughs> we're professionals, uh, mm-hmm. that's all I can say. The more you know, Matthew. But um, <laughs> her testimony sort of ends with the uh, reactor core is uh, starting to brew something, something dirty. <laughs> I think those are her exact words. It's getting nasty in there. <laughs> the reactor core is brewing something dirty. Dirty something and dirty. bad, something very naughty. It's so <laughs> it's a naughty na- little reactor. <laughs> it's a naughty little reactor. I wish I could spank it on the bottom. I want to spank its fanny red. Mm, yes, mm, I'm going <laughs> to spank that naughty reactor. Comrade Komyak, please sit down. <laughs> Komyak, your, testi- your testimony is over. <laughs> it's over. It's got me excited, though. <laughs> I kind of like that part about the spanking. <laughs> so, uh, poison gas, basically xenon. We're gonna learn, and uh, and they're just setting up our guy, right? It's like Dude, one pass, yes. two pass, and he's about to dunk with his nuts in the face of the Soviet state. <laughs> well, <laughs> except that high fucking cost for him, and I love 
the yes. way this is framed, and it's so different from the rest of them. Like Sherbina comes out fucking big, ballsy, confident dude that he is. You know, they they roll out the model for him, and he explains the you know, like we were saying the setup of of what these men were looking for to run the reason they're running the safety test. And then we kind of, you know, Kamyuk stands up, comes on over pretty quickly and explains, you know, the situation of the men in the room and how they weren't, you know, properly instructed on how to carry out the test. And then the camera follows her all mm-hmm. the way back to her chair. And we follow Legasov having to stand up, Walk well, Dutch angle to it. making us feel a little yeah, uh, queasy, a little, right? A <laughs> little queasy following him up here because he is the one. You know, I mean, honestly, like Sherbina and Comic both could hammer hard on their points and and even kind of just with just intonation get across that how this how corrupt and bad this was. But Legasov is the one who has to address the core issue itself, which addresses the design flaw of the core, which is a slight against the state. He knows he's the one where it's like, they can say what they have to say, help elucidate the problem, but I'm going to be the one to come up here and have to say what the state does not want to hear. Right. And he's, and man, him heading up there, I always wonder to myself, do you think as he gives his speech that his confidence grows and he starts to just get to the point where he realizes he has to do it? Or do you think he's got it planned already? <laughs> oh, I no, I think it is definitely a, a point because you can see him like straightening his papers, clearing his throat again. Like he is fucking nervous. And there's even a point where he's not sure if he's going to do it, I think. And I think so too. But once he hits, once he starts, that's when he just carries it all the way through. I wonder, I, it'd be cool to know. It'd be cool if, if, if we knew what he was thinking there. Like, would, was he going to do this? Was he, right? Well, the sad thing is. Not um, exactly like this, right? Well, in real life, Legasov never testified at all at court. Oh, didn't, all right. Didn't, didn't happen. It's, and even Mason was like, it's the biggest artistic liberty that I took, um, you know, to have him speak it out loud like this. Because in real life, he did speak at Vienna. And that was the only place he spoke. And I think that when he was speaking at Vienna, this trial had already started and the trial took fucking weeks and it was long and, you know, this long, windy process. And it really wasn't until after, like, he he was trying to, I can't remember the all the ins and outs of it, but he was trying to get this information out there and talking to other scientists about it. And just over time, he just started kind of getting blacklisted uh, and, that makes and sense. pushed out. Yeah. And it wasn't really until after his death that the truth really started to get out. That also makes sense because it's up to them to call him to the stand. They used him as a witness in the prosecution. That's a dangerous game to play. So right. what, we're, what we don't see in the series is just they're starting to grow suspicious of him and what he may say. Right, right. That makes Whereas sense. I think, yeah. And in real life, you know, as much as he wasn't called up there, he was still trying to to speak on it uh, and, and disseminate the information, especially I think in the scientific field. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I hear what you're saying. But um, I love the way he lays this out. I do, I, you know, I haven't criticized this show much. I can't really think of anything I would criticize, to be perfectly frank. In fact, there's really nothing except for one thing. <laughs> okay. He sh- these, these placards should have been in English. Dude, <laughs> yeah, the whole fucking that. show, you use English accents, you speak English, everybody understands what's being said. Why don't you show this so it's easier to grasp? Right. Were they afraid it was going to take away from the guy's performance? It just seems like, why wouldn't you hear of all places? You you know, it's funny. You know what I mean? 
they kind of tied uh, themselves up with the continuity here because if you've seen written language before, it's this all like any been, of the signs or anything, right. it's all been Russian. So it would look kind of weird for it to this to suddenly be English. But I agree with you that it would fucking make it a little easier to follow. Right. <laughs> I mean, it's still relatively you know easy to follow, easy-ish, mostly because of Jared Harris's performance and the way he delivers this. And the um, way it's written, it has a lot of you know, it, it has a lot of what am I trying to say? Um, uh, sorry, I'm an idiot. It has a lot of create. It, no, no, no. Oh. It has, the, the whole thing has a lot of, um, like dumbed it down, glazed it over, sort of. The science <laughs> right. is there, simplified. But it. there's yeah. a lot more complicated aspects of this, clearly. Right. So maybe they figured that was sufficient. Yeah, yeah. I think they're, they're relying on his explanation, his verbal explanation, more than anything else. Yeah, it could be they want you to pay attention to him and the performance versus. Versus anything else. When he gets up there and he says, listen, here's how a nuclear reactor works. Power goes up or it goes down. That's all. The operators maintain that balance. It's that simple, that. right? Right. Layman. And it all starts with uranium fuel, Matthew. And he puts that up as one of the positives. Mm-hmm. You know, uranium starts colliding, neutrons come out, fission's done. It continues to do its thing. However, it'll just do its thing indefinitely if you don't stop it. So we have these other things on this side called control rods, boron control rods, which will, of course, reduce it by absorbing some of those neutrons. Additionally, we also have water, which is going to take heat out of the system, right? And he talks about that. Um, And he says, I believe cool water takes heat out of the system, and and as it does, it turns to steam or what we call a void. Yeah. And the way a void was explained by that manly fellow, that Scottish man, when he was breaking this whole thing down with a ton more science that's really complicated, but also kind of cool to watch, mm-hmm. is he, he was he's saying like a, the void, something a void, so to speak, is something that just slows down a reaction. Ah, I see. That's the best way yeah. to think of it in, in terms of like elements. A void is something that slows down the reaction. It's, right. it'll, it'll absorb neutrons or something like that. I definitely or slow, or slow them down. Yeah, and I definitely didn't understand until this moment in this episode that the steam was the void in the inside the reactor. I was like, "Oh, that's what they were talking about when they talk about the positive void coefficient, steam." Right, and and then and that that's the positive void coefficient mm-hmm. because you also have the negative void, the negative temperature coefficient, which is what causes the the rise in the temperature, which is pretty, it sounds counterintuitive, but that's kind of how he talks about it, which is coming up here in a minute. Right. But yeah, he's basically saying you have to keep equilibrium. Mm-hmm. Fission will just keep doing its thing. If you push, to go back to our example, if you push the trailer truck with a full load in the back and then let it roll down the hill, it'll just roll and smash into something. It's going right. to happen. So if you don't want that to happen, you have to employ the control rods or the brakes, so to speak. But there's other things as well. And he talks, uh, and, he go, and he starts going to that. But he starts by putting the two sort of detractors, the two things that would bring it down. You know, and that's where he talks about water and how it and basically it turns to steam, what we call a void. In an RBMK reactor, Matthew, the type used at Chernobyl, there's something called a positive void coefficient. What does that mean? Well, he puts it on the plus side. He said it means that the more the steam present is, the more steam present in the system, the higher the reactivity. That's now, it. more that, steam, higher reactivity, more heat, which leads to more steam. It just keeps going forever. 
That's right. in other words, I wish you would have explained that first. If you would have not talked about the control rods and just said, here's your enemy fuel, here's what happened. But I guess you had to get to water. So that does make sense. But the yeah. positive void coefficient much mean, what must mean that the positive void increases the reaction by way of the steam because it creates more heat, which creates more steam, which increases reaction, like he says. More heat, more steam. Right. Which means, and he also does make the point of when nuclear fuel gets hotter, it gets less reactive. That's the negative temp coefficient he talks exactly. about. Yep. So that's where he's talking about. This is how we sort of get back in balance here. And we would were it not for this, <laughs> right? <laughs> the negative temperature coefficient. And he goes on to explain that nuclear fuel gets hotter; it's less reactive. And now we're in equilibrium again. He's he's got three pluses and three minuses basically. Fuel increases reactivity, control rods and water reduce it. Steam increases it, but the rise in temperature reduces it. So it's almost like the natural the natural rise in temperature, um, the negative temperature coefficient helps control it, and it occurs naturally, which is pretty cool. And that's why he says it's kind of beautiful, actually. <laughs> that it's this invisible dance that powers cities. Yeah, man. And that is that is an amazing way to think of it, of this this constant thing that's always happening, regardless of people. They're not directing it. They're just helping balance it out as it flows. Yeah. It's weird to think. One of the counterintuitive things about this, if you're not a physicist and you're thinking of it in layman's terms, is that when you think about the rise in temperature slowing down the reaction, it seems counterintuitive. Exactly. Because we always associate more temperature with worse outcomes when it comes to things blowing up. Right. In this case, it's different. Right. As the temperature rises in the water, it actually acts as an inhibitor to the nuclear reaction. Mm -hmm. That was the part I struggled with the most, like just kind of watching it quickly and not taking notes. (laughs) I was like, wait, what? (laughs) Yeah. The other, I totally didn't understand it until my second watch uh, about how crucial it was that before. Before the actual test and, you know, the, the long lead up to it, the 10 hours before that, they had just kept uh, the, the reactor at 1600. And that was a big part of the problem, too, because them, it, it being at 1600, it basically wasn't hot enough to burn off the xenon that was building up. And right. that's why there was so much xenon in there, because they had it hovering at 1600 for 10 hours where it's not supposed to be it's supposed to be 3200 uh, you know with, it's, like we said counterintuitively which would have made it more stable because it's hotter and more reactive um and versus it kind of just hovering at this less stable less reactive right. less hot state that's not burning off the xenon it's creating right that's a good point the xenon is is a byproduct of the of the fission i believe of the uranium colliding xenon is a yeah. byproduct of this yeah, he says it, it's a new element created uh, when it because of the uranium reacting. And, and as you're saying, it burns away when the reactor is running at full power, but it tends to build up if you're not, which isn't exactly. bad because we're all, this is all on the negative, you'd say. This isn't going to make your whole place blow up. No. But it does make the reactor start to want to stall, which is the problem. Xenon is, quote, choking the reactor. Right. It's right. starting to essentially drown it into powerlessness which is a, a horrible result for Dyatlov. If, if it goes offline, then he, then, then there's a whole other set of problems, which I'm not exactly sure what they would be, other than I would imagine you would start to have some sort of heat issue, but maybe not. I don't know. It's way beyond what I know about this stuff. Um, but 
to stall a nuclear reactor makes you look like a fool, right? It's it's going to cause a whole different set of problems, which Dyatlov doesn't want. Although, right. oddly enough, it probably wouldn't have been as bad as a problem if it just stalled out. Right. So still, that's evidently, that, I, I think it's still a, that's a dangerous possibility as well, but at sure. least a somewhat more understood and controllable one. Yeah. Um, I guess I guess stalling it can also lead to an ex- it, it can also lead to an explosion as well. Um, I guess because of the uh, lack of the ability to keep it cool. Right. The reactor is now primed to slow down, and yet in less than an hour, it'll explode. Oh no, maybe not. If you can't understand how a stalled how how a stalled <laughs> nuclear reactor could lead to an explosion, I don't blame you. Thanks, Chernobyl. <laughs> But I that's don't get but it. no no I like no, that because no, because right. that's exactly what I was just speculating like it probably won't blow up if you stall it correct right. it wasn't the stalling it that blew it up it was the holy fuck fire it up right. before it stalls it that up. caused it to explode right mm-hmm. and I like this I like the way he breaks this shit down here it's really awesome um, you know these these guys didn't quite understand what was happening either and. Um, that's when he says, so here's what they wanted to do. Because Dialov's freaking out. What are you doing to my reactor? Oh, yeah. Because, because this is it you know, just starts to plummet. Right. Because at first, they, it, right, when it's around like 800, they're like, okay, let's start slowly bringing it back down to 700. And then it just starts to plummet past 700. And he's not even, you know, Toptonov is not even touching the controls at this point. It's just falling. Right. And that is because of the negative temperature coefficient in the xenon reduction, in the xenon not burning off. Xenon's bur- xenon is building up, thus killing your reactor. It's stalling your reactor. Right. And that's what Dyatlov knows, because he's fucking done it for 25 years. Mm-hmm. Right? And this and he, is pretty much when we start to learn about them taking manual control over the control rods, and they're just going to start pulling them all out. Yep. What I don't understand is the stalling of the reactor. How did Dyatlov fuck this up? Because he's blaming them, but they were doing what they were told. Right. And this is, this is the, the confusion. This is the, the moment of people are not understanding, I think, even what's going wrong. Um, because he, when, they, when they tell him, you know, I think it's Akimov who actually says, I think the reactor might be poisoned, a.k.a., which is that's how they refer to the xenon gas right. that's built up in there. He's saying, I think it may be poisoned in, after he said we did everything right. And Dyatlov just, you know, pissed off is like, well, if it's been poisoned, that means you didn't do everything right. But the truth is that it had been poisoned from sitting there for the past 10 hours before these guys ever got it. <laughs> right. So it's like, well, who can you blame? Yep. Crazy. And then, of course, he, uh, yeah, that's, uh, this is how I've done the job. And, and part of the problem was being under the gun and making this thing move much faster than it was supposed to move. That, the the speed is the is one of the x factors right the right. speed is one of the x factors because that's you know Dyatlov just commands here that raise the power back up get it up to 700 and, and do it now yeah pretty crazy but um the yeah it was uh it was a it was a slow xenon build from the low power stuff and uh <laughs> they just weren't prepared for this shit and Dyatlov pushes them and he's just yelling raise the power Akimov knows that this probably isn't a good idea based on his training alone, but Dyatlov, Dyatlov is not worried about it because he's like, well, we need to get this thing started because at the end of the day, if this gets weird, I can AZ-5 it. Exactly. So whatever, I don't care, but we can't, we don't want to fail this again. I don't want to jeopardize my future. I don't want to look like a fool, right? There's a lot of that here, a lot of that saving face, a lot of that, 
lying to to show that you're infallible. <laughs> right, right. And somebody who I, I think sits on their authority in the sense of I I have authority, meaning I cannot be questioned. Yep. Dietlo tries gonna... to say he wasn't in the room. That fails miserably. <laughs> Yeah, I love how even the prosecutor's like, no, we have like 20 different corroborating accounts that all say you were fucking there. You were there. That's a fact. Yeah. And he's just like, well, all right. <laughs> You're not going to argue against it now. Right. And uh, they take a recess. Oh, man. And this is this is the heart pull of the episode right here, man. This is awesome, man. Ah, it's fantastic. It's funny. I, what a character. What a character should be and ended up being. Ah, he's so great. Yeah. Just the way he develops from you think he is an apparatus Correct. of the state that Correct. he is going to be the guy here who maybe at the end of the series is the one haunting uh, Legasov and forcing him to kill himself. But no, 100% becomes an ally and somebody who respects him. Yep. Ugh. He's talking about the Jews and the, the Jews and the Poles and Stalin forcing the Poles out. And then eventually the Germans coming, the Nazis. And then, of course, people came back to live here anyway. They knew right. the ground under their feet was soaked in blood, but they didn't care. No one ever thinks it happens to them. Yep. That's the line here, man. He's like, I didn't think it would happen to me. I believed it when you told me, but still after time passed and, you know, I felt okay, didn't think it was going to happen to me. And he just holds up that tissue with the blood on it, coughing. Yep. And we know it's got him. But this stuff here is where he basically says he's wasted it. He's wasted his time all for nothing. And he's having a bit of a moment of vulnerability, um, feeling like a failure. And Legasov says, uh, you know, he, he talks about, well, first, Shubin says how unconcerned he was. And um, when he was told he was putting charge of the cleanup, he just was like, oh, can't be serious. And he believed them. Right. And he believed them because they, they put him in charge. They gave him the power. So he believed them. Right. Right. It's like it almost like he it's admitting that it, it blurred his own perception. It blurred his own discernment that while well, I was given the power and I, I just went ahead and went, all right, well, I'm in charge of this. Right. So I'm going to take it seriously and believe the account. Yeah, man. Because it's, it's what I'm in charge of. And he says, listen, I, uh, I don't matter. Oh, this is so brutal. Brutal. I'm an, I'm an inconsequential man, Valeri. Right. And Legasov's like, uh, not so fast. Uh, yeah, man. I'm going to tell you something right now. Anyone could have done what I did from a scientist standpoint, but you, everything we asked for, everything we needed, we got men, material, lunar rovers, <laughs> all of it. Who else could have done these things? He's, he's very, very, you know, they heard me, but they listened to you. Ah, all so the good. ministers and all the deputies Entire congregation of obedient fools. Great line, by the way. They oh, mistakenly yeah. sent the one good man. For God's <laughs> sake, Boris, <laughs> you are the only one who mattered the most. So fucking good, man. Yeah. Ah, it's so good. Because it also, I mean, I, I think I love that Valeri consents. And it, it's almost like a universal truth of regardless of, of anyone, anywhere, human beings in any system, People respect real leadership, like a real actual person of commitment and somebody you can respect and who fucking commands and gets things done the way they need to be. And he's like, it doesn't fucking matter. You're some state man. Like you came in here and you got it done. You did what needed to happen and people look to you. I love that Legasov says that they stumbled on, they say it was accidental. He says it was accidental. Like I love that implication. Like the, like the state didn't realize who they were sending when they sent you. 
<laughs> it's right. just probably a good thing they did. Just sort of went with him. Well, you can do it. Right. But uh, right. The, that moment of nature, I like the intro. I like the significance of new life. Dude, yeah. So like it's small. It's bare. You know, it's just this little tiny crawling, you know, caterpillar. But it's alive. And it's, it's hope. It's, it's hope. You yeah, know, this is something that, you know, probably wasn't even there a day or two before. It's a recent new birth. Beautiful sure. new life. Yep. And, cool. uh, well, our man gets back to it. And he says, the operators are locked on a path to disaster. Legasoft says, there's no way to turn back. They do not yet know it, but the die is cast. 30 megawatts of xenon is still being created. But none of it's burning away, Matthew. None of it. Just going to keep building up. Drowning in poison. To make matters worse, the reactor isn't hot enough, right? Right. To building up steam... So take away the steam, which takes away your positive void coefficient, which takes away your steam heat cycle. And now you really have a problem. Now you're looking at shutting off the goddamn thing. And that's when we see the power just starting to plummet. Right. I mean, practically down to zero. Right. They have nothing left on the left side of the board except uranium fuel, except just fission. That's it. So you have to take out all of the control rods. Your your most effective method of of slowing down reactivity, you need to remove so that reactivity can grow again. Um, so they just, like we were saying, <clears throat> yank basically all of the control rods out. Yep. And that's the first thing he does. Only With only six in there, we, uh, you know, the fuel is gone. So the temperature negative coefficient is no longer weighing down on the reactivity. That's not a factor. The xenon is, Mm -hmm. but still, the xenon is, you know, the best we can do is raise the power up more. So we've started to reverse the process. The control rods are now out. The emergency system has been disconnected. The only thing keeping the reactor in check is water and xenon. That's a a scary proposition, dude. It's already pretty bad. (laughs) And I'm an idiot, but that sounds scary to me. (laughs) <laughs> uh, right. I, even even we can still understand, oh, that's highly radioactive material, though, and all you have between it and, and the fucking rest of the plant and all the human beings there is some water. Basically. Because I just think of it as an atomic bomb that's under control. We're essentially, right. It's a nuclear bomb that's blowing up just kind of slowly and you're controlling it. It's, mm-hmm. it's bananas to think about it that way. Because fission unchecked doesn't stop. So. Right. You have Keep all of this. Forever. You have all of this stuff here to to help with this, and um, but they're on a time crunch now. It's one in the morning. They have minutes, minutes, Matthew, to complete this test. God, it's so insane. Because so that, insane. oh, the other the other thing we've talked about, or, or I don't think we the power about plant, the plant, Kiev. Oh, oh, yeah, with the Kiev. I think that kind of leads into what I was going to say, but of yeah. of them telling. Well, that that the Kiev uh, power plant situation is what made them originally wait the ten hours because they were saying you know it was productivity at the end of the month, productivity quotas, and people need power. Other factories need power to keep yes. producing, and so they're like, uh, we, we can't take a reduction in power. Can you guys hold on until late when all the other factories have shut down? But the other the important issue here is that. In a, if they had done this correctly at this point, like what the correct procedure to do in raising this power is you raise it very fucking slowly, very slowly. I think Legasov says over 24 hours right. is where you should be raising it from zero back to 700. That's and right. they're trying to take it from basically zero back to 700 in, like you said, two or three minutes, mm-hmm. which is right. just breakneck, crazy, reckless. Absolutely. There's, there's letting the trailer truck roll down the hill 
And then there's actively pushing it down the hill, slamming <laughs> on the gas, right? Right, right. To continue the metaphor. fucking emergency brake. Exactly. At that point, <laughs> yeah. The, the real crazy part of that is the... <laughs> If 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 somehow the the brake became the accelerator after a certain threshold, that's essentially what we have here. Mm-hmm. And uh, Legasov says they were in an unsolvable situation. The test was ruined, no matter what. The, the results would have been useless. But Yatlov didn't care about that. He wanted to report a completed test, like you said, completed test. <laughs> that's it. Because we have this final moment where Akimov tells him, this is all the power we can get going, doing what we're doing, and it's 200 megawatts. And Dyatlov is just like, all right, do it. I don't fucking care. Right. If that's what we got, that's what we've got. Which is crazy. Yep. Even the computer says, this should be shut down. <laughs> right. Dyatlov's reaction to that is definitely the one of the most reality-denying reactions of, of them all, where he's just like, well, of course, it doesn't know that we're doing a test, so of course it tells it to shut down. It's like, dude, it doesn't matter that you're doing a test. It's still dangerous. Mm-hmm. That doesn't change. Right. It's interesting that the the machine spit out that warning when he pulled out all the control rods. Now, again, they don't elaborate on this, but I wonder if everything else was going fine and they pulled out all the control rods, if they would have still gotten that, still gotten that, um, that mess from the computer. Like, under operating circumstances that were more nominal, would it have spit out the, you shouldn't do anything with all these control rods out? Right. You, you would imagine so, because it's got to be, the control rods are the most important part of maintaining the balance, I guess, in the core. Mm-hmm. And then there's the pulled out the rods further than anyone has ever pulled them out before. Right. Completely out. Because he talks at first about them being removed a third of the way, then halfway, and that that still wasn't raising the power. So he completely removes them. Completely Mm -hmm. out of the core. Totally out. And well then, does that start changing things rather quickly? And watching the wattage move on that digital display is intense. Oh my God. Yeah terrifying and that's boy what an easy thing to understand even for us common dum-dums looking at that like those numbers are going up really fast (laughs) that's probably not good isn't it yep yep but uh yeah the uh the pumps are shut down and once the pumps shut down water stops becoming a factor right it stops moving through the reactor uranium fuel is now unchecked by fresh coolant and unchecked by control rods. The bounce immediately swings the opposite direction. That's it. In less than a second, reactivity increases inside the core. The remaining water is quickly converted to steam. A void is being created. There is no fresh water to replace it, Matthew. Steam increases reactivity. And we've seen this before, which increases heat, which increases steam, which increases reactivity onward and upwards. The remaining xenon decays away as it's supposed to, because the heat's rising. Right. If things are working the way they should be. Um, So now you have on your balancing board, all of like, just imagine a seesaw. Okay. For, for you, for those of you at home, imagine a seesaw and on one seat is everything that it takes to make fission and power to go up and everything on the other seat makes it go down. Well, now you've taken every little rock of of driving the power down off that seesaw edge and that goddamn shit's going to slam the other way and you didn't gently remove them Uh, part of the problem was you only had a little bit left on there 
and you just started piling all of the positives on one side to where it jolted all the other shit off the other seat, and now it's going plummeting down to earth. <laughs> With no way to slow it down or stop mm. it at all. Right. Now, well, <laughs> it starts to go insanely fast. It starts to go to a point where, holy shit, AZ-5 is probably the time to go now. Oh, this is such a great moment with Legasov. Again, this is where he pauses. He says, it's at 1.23 and 40 seconds, and he knows this is, this is it. Either mm-hmm. I say that it just went bad, or I really say explicitly why it went bad. Yep. And condemn myself. This mm-hmm. is it. And yep. this he, is where he, he lays out of what the scram button is. The, right. the, in Soviet reactors, the button's called an AZ-5. You press the AZ-5, and all of the control rods insert at once, and the reaction is stopped dead. Right. But now, in this, at Chernobyl, that wasn't the case. Right. And it's funny that Dyatlov starts speaking out here, talking about lies. Legasov has already given it away. He said before, there was no way to avoid what was coming. He knows something. He, she knows something. And this is interesting because it shows you how Dyatlov doesn't really trust anyone. <laughs> right, right. He thinks they're all fucking out to get him. But it's fascinating because his instinct isn't wrong to know that they're hiding something. Because right. Dyatlov at the end of the day knows that. And that's probably why he's so smug still because he still feels like it should have stopped when I hit the button. Regardless of all the shit I fucked up. Worst right. case scenario, I blew a test because I knew I had the button. And you fucking liars, you made shit control rods. You did something wrong. I followed mm-hmm. procedure. So at, on that point, I get, I'm not saying, you know, he has an excuse to be an asshole. He has an excuse to act the way he does. But at the end of the day, he probably thought, I don't trust any of these people. I just want to keep going up in rank. I'm going to do this ding dong test. It's so easy. It's fine. If something weird happens, I'll hit the button. He's blinded by his own arrogance, of course. Right. But at the end of the day, he still had this notion that he was trained on, which is the AZ-5 button will work. That's it. it was he knows something. His, he hey, knows no, something. Like, I'm not it. I'm not it. <laughs> he knows something. Fuck him. He knows something, doesn't he? Don't you? <laughs> Don't you know something? That's real cute. Real cute, isn't it? Isn't it? <laughs> you with your lies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you're right. Watching, oh, man. Watching our guy here, watching Jared Harris here is just a treat. Ah, he's so good. The grappling with the where am I going to go? How do I say it? How do I lay it out? Am I going to say it? And then, by the way, our our man of no consequence stands up and halts the courtroom and the judge tries to say, all right, it's adjourned. We're done for today. Uh, And even the prosecutor's (laughs) like, no, your testimony's finished. Sherbina stands up, let him finish. And they all go, yes, sir. (laughs) That is crazy to me. Crazy. Crazy. That he he's has got, the command presence to shut it down. He's got way more <laughs> fucking sway than he lets on. Right. Yeah, that's for sure, right? At least respect, if nothing else. And Sherbina knows at this point, he knows what Legasov's gonna do. He knows he's gonna drop it down. Dialov broke every rule we have. Correct. He did. He did. Mm-hmm. He pushed Rack to the brink of destruction. It's funny, when you think of Dialov's crimes outside of being an asshole. You'd almost say it would have all been inconsequential because he could have just hit the dump button. Right. I mean, maybe you could say you, you shouldn't rely so heavily on that. But at the end of the day, they were all told that, yes, this is your fucking escape, panic, end it all button. This mm-hmm. is the one that no matter what, 
your worst situation happens, hit this fucking button and it will shut it all down. End of story. So you kind of can't blame him for going, it's just a small test. It's a simple thing. It shouldn't even take that long. Fuck it. If it goes bad, we'll hit the button. Right. Right. And I know some people said, uh, some of the feedback on the show was Dialoff not getting painted in a positive light whatsoever. And I agree with that. You know, I think, I think, I think too often people are, uh, I think we put, we get really sensitive about people's personalities, right? Yes. We we judge people very harshly on personality. Unlikable people get judged on their personality more than on the facts. Right. Now, Dietloff is at the head of a pretty bad disaster, so you can't let him off the hook entirely. I'm not saying that. But it's interesting because it would be a much different trial if Dietloff was just a nicer man. And well-loved and respected. Personality and- goes a long fucking way. Yeah. And um, yeah, it's hard. It's, and that's, you know, that's, this, is what, this is what defense attorneys and prosecutors rely on. They rely on painting a picture of, of uh, either an innocent victim or, or a terrible, terrible person. And they, right. and they do that to make you not like them, to where once you stop liking somebody, it's much easier to convict you, right? Instead of relying on the facts, we can just rely on the emotional content surrounding the facts. And it's almost like that show did this to us for Dyatlov. <laughs> right, to force us to have to think about it a little differently. Right. Because you've you got to imagine that if you were a completely like wonderful, well-loved, humorous, charming guy that all the guys liked— you still could have done the exact same thing, but instead of intimidation and brute force and making everybody afraid of you, you charm everybody into doing it. Come on, guys, it's definitely going to work. Don't you want to be the first team that gets this test right at Chernobyl and we finally are successful? You're going to all get promotions. You're all going to fucking raises. It's going to be great. And he could have coerced thing, yeah. them in the same way. But he has no interest in leadership. And that's what's no. so fucked up about hierarchies in general. And we see this in, in, in all manner of government and all manner of business. And that's... Sometimes, you know, there's, we, we've said this before, this is not anything new, everybody knows this, but there's a big difference between management and leadership, right? There's a big difference between, people are leaders not because somebody says they're your leader, but because they lead and people follow, right? Right. That's uh, the old clerk's quote, title does not dictate behavior, right? <laughs> <laughs> if Very it true. did, I wouldn't have been allowed to spit water at that lady. What, he's, what, what, what Kevin Smith is joking about is very true, which is it doesn't matter what you call yourself. The only thing that matters is the way people view you and how you interact with them. Sure, you might be able to command people's fates and lives because you have power to sign papers. But at the end of the day, there is leadership, which we see Shermina possesses. Yep. And then there is non-leadership, which is what Dyatlov possesses or the lack of leadership. Right. Both in right. positions of power, both state guys, right? Both from the same country, both countrymen, comrades, you would say. <laughs> and uh, one possesses leadership skills and one just does not. And it's possible he looked at it as, you know, child's play, which is why I didn't care to inspire the boys that day. But they right. never quite paint him in a, in a positive light. And, they don't. Um, but, but, but that's I would, why I but like I, thinking of the facts. That's why the facts matter to me. Exactly. And, that, and that's also why, I mean, if you put, if you string just the facts together of what Dyatlov had them do, he could have been a tyrant like he was, or he could have been a charming, coercive, you know, I'm going to promise good things to you guys for doing this instead of just making you afraid. You still get the same result. You still get this test being pushed through and it shouldn't have ever been pushed through. Yeah. And, and I can assure you, 
people would still be like, boy, this guy kind of fucked up. But if you looked oh, yeah. at this trial on paper without the, 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 um, without the drama, without, mm-hmm. without the acting of, uh, of the Dyatlov character, without his performance, you would probably, like you, it, w- it would read like um, operator one warned manager about this, manager proceeded anyway. You know, you, you, if you read it very factually like this, instead of he threw the thing across the room, he told him he was a fucking idiot, right? That changes the entire feeling of, of the testimony, is that. He then called Comrade Ak- Akimov a scrubby cunt. <laughs> he didn't pet his head and tell him he was special, right? It changes it very, that's why, you know, facts are one thing, but uh, it's, that's why people appeal to emotion a lot. Oh, but of course. It's politician- Politics 101 is appealing to emotion. What about the children, <laughs> right? <laughs> Meanwhile, they're blowing children up in other countries. But of course. <laughs> but um, basically, uh, he's talking about the boron rods. It gets to the point with the AZ-5 stuff. And this is where he says the tips. They're made of graphite, the- which accelerates reactivity. Mm-hmm. Why? One of the judges asks. <laughs> And this is when it really fucking comes out where he, you can't dance around it at all at this point. Why? Well, for the same reason that our reactors do not have containment buildings around them. Like they do in the West. Like those in the West. For the same reason (laughs) we don't use properly enriched fuel in our cores. It's cheaper. Yep. That's it. That's it. (laughs) You cheaped out on it. It's crazy. Cheaper, dude. Cheaper. <laughs> and what's so crazy about that is that maybe you actually did find a more like you could spin that of like, oh, it's cost effective, but you still got to disclose the information you find about what makes a possible dangerous situation out of it. Yep. That's what's so crazy. So you've got fission already happening. The graphite accelerates it incredibly. Any water left in the tank instantly converts the steam from the heat, Oof. which as we know, expands and ruptures a series of fuel rod channels. The control rods in those channels can move no further. That's crazy. Yeah. That they are and that's the part we see together. in the show, which is the inability to push them further in. That's what we forget. Oof. Once the yeah. graphite goes in, the rupturing occurs in all of those channels where they'd slide in are now fucked up and you can't push them through. They're right. stuck. You, you can't get the boron to it because it's just stuck on a, on a, basically what becomes a wall of graphite pressing against the, the core. Yay. This is Hooray. going well. Super <laughs> this dupes. Is, this is totally what we wanted. In Soviet Russia, uh, never mind. But uh, graphite types are fixed in position, accessible external reaction. They're just sitting there in that stew. And now we have a nuclear bomb. Oh, dude. This and visual stuff is amazing. Dude, God, seeing the, the oh, what did the, they say, 350 kilogram rods yeah. jumping up and down, which is like, that shouldn't even be possible. Over 700 pounds each. <laughs> Fucking insane. Uh, and I love this moment of where he says, we don't know how much power it actually hit, how high it actually went, but the last reading was 32,000, I think he says. 32,000. Dude. When it's supposed to operate on 3,200. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. Well, that's a lot. That's a lot, Matthew. And So uh, much. Yeah. If you, if, you, um, if you go to Watts to Amps Calculator, it's really interesting. Um, if you select DC current, 
and you put it into power and watch 32,000, the current result in amps just says infinity. (laughs) (laughs) Infinity amperage. (laughs) Jesus. Fuck, man. So, kaboom. Uh, Yeah, and it's crazy. The visualization of this is really crazy. At long last, we've arrived, the explosion, and the instant the lid is thrown off the reactor and oxygen rushes in. Well, this means we now have oxygen with hydrogen and superheated graphite. That's great. (laughs) Just uh, fucking swell. The chain of disaster is now complete, and we see the explosion, and it's incredible. Yeah, because at first, you know, like we said, you, you see the lid of all of the, the rods get torn off, and then it's the worser explosion is the oxygen rushing in after that. Right. That completely just blows a hole in the entire facility and sends a lightsaber from hell through the sky. <laughs> Oops, Saudi world. Terrifying. Right. Uh, and you know what? One thing that actually uh, Craig Mason said on his podcast that I thought was really interesting, uh, which uh, just as far as the structure of telling this story and the way they decided to arrange it, is starting the very first episode out just after the explosion, like literally a second after, and they're all kind of in that stunned days of like what even just happened, and we we get all those you know conflicting. Well, well, it's probably just this thing that happened, or it's probably just one of the the, the uh, water tanks, and nobody knows what's going on. Because it put us in that same sense Correct. of what did just happen. I don't understand. And now at the end, seeing the full lead up, the full reason why. But yeah, putting I, I think it's such a cool narrative choice to have started us at the same just chaotic confusion of we don't even know what just happened. We just know what happened was very bad. Right. It's a great choice, and I agree with you, and I'm glad you brought it up, which is exactly what you said, right? That ability to put you in the mix. And the other thing is, if we got it the other way around, we would have spent so much time sort of thinking about that more than everything else. It's good to just see, to to get it as as the characters get it. It Makes much more sense to me. Yeah, yeah. It makes it that much more urgent. Because, I mean, I I feel like that's the way to, to tell a historical story like this as well. Because if you tell it, the way we already know it with like, well, here's what happened. And now we're going to go into why. Well, then you're just kind of like, okay, this just turns into a history lesson. I already know what happened. <laughs> you, you told me the ending. Um, but we don't get that here. We start where our characters had to start. Yeah. Find our way back to the beginning, the way they had to. And, uh, you know, the judge says, if you mean to say the state is, right? Of course, the state apparatus the so treading on state. dangerous ground yes of course he is because he's about to tell the truth <laughs> and the truth is not compatible with our essentially uh, our ethical framework it does not com- it's not compatible with what we have here it's not compatible with the way we've set up the state it's not compatible with the way we've set up our government and we're not interested in that right and, um yeah i find that hilarious <laughs> well, and this was also kind of like what we talked about in previous episodes too, with this being, it's very crucial to know that this is towards the end, the very near the end of the Soviet Union. And they were just so clinging to nuclear power as their last dominant hand that we are, we at least have a firm grip of dominance on nuclear power. So this was the thing they were guarding with every last bit of their effort and resource of like, no, we, we, we cannot let any weakness slip here. We can't let America see us fucking up with nuclear power. That's what, that's our last fucking golden prize. Mm-hmm. So they lie. We tell incurs a debt to the truth, Matthew. <sighs> it's so good. Sooner or later that debt is paid. 
Uh, great line. Uh, he says, we lied. He says, I lied at the Vienna conference. Um, but this is how an RBMK and reactor explodes, basically. And he lays it at the feet of the Soviet state by suggesting they are responsible. Right. That's hardcore. <laughs> when the truth offends, we lie and lie until we can no longer remember it's even there. Yep. <sighs> and that's it. So good. Yep. What, what need and, to be said is said. And he is uh, pretty promptly marched straight from the courtroom into a uh, KGB, you've been bad room. Yeah, into the timeout KGB room. <laughs> the KGB naughty boy room. You fucking <laughs> go sit down in here. We are very pissed off at you. Very mad at you. No toys for you. You're in big trouble, mister. <laughs> as, and, if only they were so innocent as uh, angry parents. Right, Jesus. <laughs> but no, what a great transition of a shot from, you know, when we're following uh, Legasov when he's in the courtroom, as the camera's kind of panning around him and he's surrounded by all these people and he's exposing the truth for what it is and telling them how it all actually lays out to be. And he's almost smiling. Um, and we just, you know, the judges mm-hmm. are behind him, you know, Boris and, and Kamyuk are both there. Everybody's around him. And then he's marched into this room, sat down and the camera just pans up behind him alone, totally fucking alone. I love him it, sitting on the chair, man. That contemplative uh, moment. What a shot, right? What a fucking shot. And just the weight of it all finally mm-hmm. sitting on him. Like it's done and you can't take it back now. Right. There's got to be a sense of peace about that. Yeah. A sense of Obviously, acceptance. Some nervousness too, especially when the Grim Reaper walks in. Uh, right? Uh, Chairman Charkov. Oh, yeah. And um, yeah, he basically says, so uh, here's what's going to happen. You have all these credentials, don't you? You're a special man. <laughs> Your father was a big time person. Oh, yeah. And pretty much says, you're one of us. Why are you going against us? Why Why are you doing this? Right. I like it. He says at the Cherkatov Institute, you were the, in the Communist Party secretary. In that position, you limited the promotion of Jewish scientists. Did you catch right. that? Yeah. And he <sighs> says, yes, he did. It's yes. fucking dark, man. To <laughs> uh, uh, uh. curry favor with Kremlin officials. Of course. Everything is politically motivated. Everything. <laughs> and that's Weird. why he's like, uh, you know, you're, I know who you are. You're not brave. You're not a hero. He's wanting to take away any of that from him. Wait, wait, wait. Everything's politically motivated. It's Twitter. <laughs> it's 19, Twitter is 1987 Russia. That's All locked into one. <laughs> you're not a hero. You're just a dying man who forgot himself, right? And I know, I know who I am and I know what I've done, he says. <laughs> and then uh, I love the darkly funny way that Charkov's like, oh, you're not getting shot like ass off. You already talked in front of Vienna. It'd be super <laughs> embarrassing to blow your brains out now. We can't kill you in front of the world. <laughs> like, ah, it's real inconvenient if we kill you next time. That's all it comes down <laughs> not to. Not because of how shockingly immoral it is and how awful it is, but just, ah, it'd be embarrassing. Absolutely. <laughs> oh, no one's God. No one's getting a shot. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck. I love how embarrassment is, is there. That face is everything. Absolutely. And ostracization mm. is the, the real punishment here for Legasov of that. You're not going to work as a scientist. You're not going to get a position anywhere. However long you have, you will... You will not have this prestige anymore, and what you did will actually be credited to other lesser men. Which that's is crazy, and that's because the state controls all of the jobs. 
<laughs> so this one guy is saying, hey, guess what, dude? You ain't going to work again. You're done. I mean, anywhere? You are done. Yeah. What about McDonald's? Nope. Control that too. Nah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, he says, you'll keep your title in your office. Of course, this is all face-saving shit. Oh, yeah. No exactly. duty, no authority, no friends. Of course, he's, sorry to use a pun, radioactive. <laughs> right, right. Because everybody knows, even if they don't know the exact explicit state reasons as to why, they'll still know that he's been branded by by the KGB, that he is, oh, don't, don't associate with him. He is yep. on their shit list. Lesser men will get credit for the things you've done. I bet that happens constantly over there. <laughs> so <laughs> rough. And this is where he saves Sherbini and Kamyak's life, right? <laughs> Absolutely. This dead-eyed fucking fish asks him, and he says, what is, no. What was and their you, role? Yeah, and you know I'm not lying because you're a KGB man. <laughs> and it's such a good line from Sharkov, too. After all you've said today, it would be curious if you chose this moment to lie. Right. Because he expects, dude, he expects him to sell out his friends. You know, that, like, that's he, interesting, isn't it? That's where Sharkov's wrong. Exactly. He yeah. doesn't quite understand somebody who's being uh, like who's actually being, noble, who's actually being morally superior to you, right? He's, right. He can't quite wrap his head for all his experience in the field. He, he struggles with this part. It's like a blind spot for him because clearly you are going to. Not- so- Right. It's not transactional. It's not like, ah, you know, uh, you expect, he expects anyways that he's like, you're going to give me names to try and get yourself free. Like this one for one kind of like that. That's what a relationship is. It's another card I can use to get my own ass out of hot water. Mm-hmm. Or for, whereas for Legasov, no, I actually care about these people and respect them. And I don't want to fucking throw them under the bus. Yep. And Legasov's confidence grows, especially after he's told he's not going to get shot. That helps. That, <laughs> that helps. <laughs> <laughs> the back of your head starts feeling a lot better. You're like, oh, okay, that's going to stay intact. That's nice. But this is the, this is what leads to the great quote of the episode, which is, listen, what if I refuse all this bullshit? And uh, Charkov says, why worry about something that isn't going to happen? Which is precisely what the whole show is about. Why worry about something that isn't going to happen? Oh, that's perfect. We should put that on our money. I love that Sharkov doesn't even have a reaction. He's to that. like, he just, yeah. Mm, just turns around. <laughs> like, there's nothing to say to that. Before I get to work on him with a knife, I better get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fuck, man. Yeah. Awesome. He gets loud to the car. He sees his friends who he's not allowed to talk to anymore. That is the last time he saw them. Yeah. That's it. Oh, man. And then the fucking. End of this fucking series, man. His words here. Yep. To be was a that scientist, the beginning, right? What's that? Was that the beginning, some of this? Some of it. Only the very last line, I think. Because right here he says, to, to be a scientist is oh, to right. be naive. We are so focused on our search for truth, we fail to consider how few actually want us to find it. But it is hmm. always there, whether we see it or not, and whether we choose to or not. Ah, oh, fuck, dude. Truth doesn't, doesn't care, care about our governments. <laughs> and our see, ideologies, that is, our religions. That's one of the biggest things about, for one, this entire series, but especially in this episode. I like how much it hammers home on the idea that truth is an independent thing, always. Like it's not owned by anybody. It is not no government, no person, no ideology or, or economic system or anything can own the truth. It exists beyond people, and it will always. be be there. Um, and that's part of what I even, I think is in a way, a 
silver lining to Legasov himself because even though Sharkov sitting there saying, you know, your deeds will be attributed to lesser men, you know, they're going to get the prestige and not you, he still knows I'm the guy who did it. The, the, the truth is I was the one who was there. Me and Sherbina and Kamyuk solved this problem, this situation. You can't take away the truth of that reality. You know, you, you, you can manipulate it and, and, and try to hide it from the rest of the world and people who don't know better, but he'll always know. Like that, the truth will always be known to Legasov. They can't take that away. You can't actually remove the truth. You can just kind of muddy it up. Yeah. And uh, I, I, like, I like that because that leads to the, uh, the conversation of truth is also, he says it'll lie dormant. It just will stay there forever and it'll eventually be uncovered, which is precisely what we are witnessing as we watch this show about Legasov, right? That's it. If there's one thing the show did is it taught us who this man was. Even if he didn't do this courtroom thing, we see some of this footage of him at the end and um, what, what he had to say. Right. But yeah, truth as a concept is is baffling. It always has been. Um, it's a major it's a major sticking point in deep philosophical conversation. Truth with a capital T, of course. <laughs> and um, just the way it is, you know, is it is it? There's a lot of theories about it. Is it is it uh, what we agree is the truth? Is the truth? Is it? Uh, I think that's called consensus or something. But um, yeah, or, or or is it obvious? Is it self evident? And that's what's cool about this is that you, you wonder, you wonder about that. You wonder about the truth as a separate entity as it relates to this show, as it relates to what we saw happen in Chernobyl. And I just think it's so fascinating that that this is. I know one of the things discussed is always like, oh, the, the administration. And I understand the I understand the pig piling on the administration, all that shit. I get it. It's fine. But it's also like, it's not, <laughs> like he says, truth doesn't care about your government or your ideology. It doesn't care. And um, if you start digging into the truths of, of governments the world over, or just ours in general, which is the only one I can really speak to, it starts to get really dicey. Oh, yeah. And, um, and that's been the case for a long, long time. You know, man, it's, uh, it's really creepy. <laughs> uh, Got to be careful of where you see history. I mean, fuck, history's written by the victors. That's always a, another maxim to remember. The way we even just remember history in general is written by somebody. Yep. Gulf of, Gulf of Oman is one I think about now. Like, what is the truth? There is a truth. It exists. Who knows it? Exactly. But right? who knows it? And that's, mm-hmm. that's the thing. That's what this, this whole thing is about. What, right. what is the truth? We don't fucking know. <laughs> uh, such a good fucking show, man. It was great. It was awesome. It was it was a fascinating thing to watch. I'm so happy we sat down and we covered this. It's very very cool, man. Right. And um, yeah, it's the truth is really is really dicey because it's you start getting to a point where how do you you you, you would argue that that truth is is sort of held in opposition of what is not the truth, and to verify that you have to use measurements. And those right. measurements are becoming more and more hard to sort of understand, right? Right. See, that's that's honestly the most interesting thing about this show now, it, it, just in our time and our age, is the great paradox of our time to me is 
that we have never in all of human history had more direct access to all of all of human knowledge being shared, being accessible. We can all access it and reach it. It's all right there. You 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 want to read about the fucking library of Constantinople? You can fucking read it. It's there. You can look up an article about it and read what known history is to know about it. Any fucking topic. And yet, we have the most muddled, confusing, hazy misinformation so hard to pluck out the actual truth from all of the noise. It's, it's the weirdest thing. The internet has made the world so much more connected and so much more confused. Yeah, well, that's because of the abundance of information or as it, as it were, disinformation. Right. 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 And that's the problem because in, in verifying the veracity of a truth claim, you have to, you, you have to, uh, you have to have measurements. You have to have ways to, to understand it, a criteria, right? The criteria of truth, I believe. There's a bunch yeah. of different ways to do it, authority and everything else. I don't know them all, but, um, <laughs> uh, there's, you know, intuition is even a thing. This, a lot of times people are right because of instinct, <laughs> which is kind of fascinating to think about, right? That's that's wild. That's something we talked about when we covered Memento. But um, yeah, to verify truth, you have to apply some sort of logic, and it's really hard when you're when you're going through muddled waters. But you know that you know they call they keep they keep using the word statecraft in this show, and that's a, a word always associated with the Soviet Union. And you know whether they muddled in an election or not doesn't really matter. But what they do do. And what governments that are very powerful do the world over is they undermine other nations, and in doing so, uh, one of the things the uh, one of the things Russian intelligence was always good at was giving so much actual information that you couldn't discern the truth from disinformation. Exactly, it wasn't about hiding the truth; it was about inserting too many things to that that go beyond the bandwidth of what you can cope with. Right. It's like those those test questions of like pick out the false statement from these 10 statements. Right. And it starts to become difficult when you're reading all of these true things along with it and it yes. even is similar to the true things and has some truth within it. But on the on the Soviet lie. test it would have been pick out the true statement among these 37 statements. <laughs> <laughs> right. That's the that's the, that's the real trick is yeah. creating seeds of doubt and, and hesitation, right? There's there is analysis paralysis and that's a that's a thing. That causing so much, uh, causing, causing so much, muddling the water so much causes people to freeze up. And when people don't, when people are frozen and they're not taking, making decisions and they're not taking action, then they're not being productive. They're not, they, they're not doing anything. They're sitting there overwhelmed by the sheer amount of, you're spoiled for choice, as they say in soccer broadcasts, right? <laughs> yeah, too many people to pass to, he froze, right? He didn't know what to do. It's it's true. Options. Too many options. Yeah. You, you think about that a lot. Dude, if you want to know how does this apply to your life, when do you remember Blockbuster Video? Oh, fuck yeah. Dude, you'd walk those aisles for a fucking 45 minutes. Absolutely. Yeah. And if you went to mom and pop's little shit store, you went, Jason 6, let's go. <laughs> There's fucking 12 <laughs> movies here. You go to Blockbuster and it's like, you got to be shitting me. I, I don't know, man. There's too many movies. You're spoiled for choice and it freezes you up. It's funny to apply to uh, something that stupid, but it's something I think everyone <laughs> that listens to this show anyway can wrap their heads around. Right, right. Look at it's Netflix. Is, 
Oof, the the, the Netflix is a great example of uh, of this like long term optimism we have, right? Our our Netflix queue is retarded. It's it's like this long term optimistic ideology that we have in our heads that we fool ourselves into believing that on some level we're going to eventually watch that movie that's sixteenth in our queue. We are never going to watch that movie. You're in fact you're going to watch the same shit over and over again. You're only occasionally going to watch something new on Netflix, and that's what we do. Like the illusion of, look at all the choices on Netflix as opposed to Hulu, dude. Yeah, who cares? You're never going to watch that shit. It's the illusion of value, right? There's, you, you think because there are more choices available to you that the value is greater because someday, what if? Mm-hmm. Well, a lot of us operate in that what if, right? Well, I like this place better because it has this thing that I'm never going to use, okay? <laughs> then pay extra and never use the thing and go there. You know, It's like, what the fuck? But um, yeah, man, it it makes you think. And truth is truth is pretty uh pretty wild, pretty wild when you start getting into truth uh, and and what exactly that means and what we perceive is true to us. Does somebody else perceive it the same way? Is it true to them? Right? Mm-hmm. Is two plus two four a truth, or is it a truth because we all agree it's the truth because the way mathematics was right created, so to speak, or discovered and created? Who right. knows? I don't fucking know. But um, it's fun to think about, and um, and it's and wild think, to see all of this masking of of truths and saving face and the illusion totally, of power. Totally, totally. And I think it's just it's interesting to watch at least a few people in this situation, you know, pursue the truth without any ge- agenda. There is no other agenda. They're not trying to find a a resolution or a conclusion to this that fits in with what people want to hear or anybody's agenda or that makes them look better. Just the truth, just finding out what happened for the sake of finding out what happened. And to prevent it. And to prevent it. Yeah. To prevent it in the future. Right. It's noble, man. And fuck the performance. I mean, no, we, we've hammered on this hard since episode one and two, but holy shit, the performances in the show, man. So good. So good. Uh, I think I mentioned it already, but if anybody was like, wow, Jared Harris is such a fucking good actor. I want to watch more of his stuff. Got to get on that Mad Men game. He's so fucking good in that show. He doesn't come in until like season three or four, but it's fucking worth it. It's a great show. I have, watch if anyway. I'm not mistaken, he's in The Crown as well as King George. Ooh, I haven't watched that. He's awesome in that. I mean, we know nice. King George's fate. Not good. <laughs> Lung cancer or some shit. But um, I'm pretty sure he was in The Crown. Wasn't that him? I'm, not he, sure I'm pretty sure it. he plays King George in the crown. Um, <laughs> he's, he's awesome in that too. He's not in it, but for, I don't even know, maybe, maybe half a dozen episodes or so, but. Oh uh, shit. He was also on the expanse. I gotta get back on the expanse. Fuck. Oh really? Yeah. He must've come in in a later season. No kidding. Um, chat saying he's in two episodes of what? Uh, oh, I guess, I guess expanse. Then he's dead. <laughs> well, spoilers guys. Oh really? His IMDb is telling me he is in six episodes as King George, and in The Expanse, he's in seven episodes. According to IMDb, maybe that's done in some flashback format if he dies. I don't know, but mm-hmm. there you go. There we go. So, um, yeah, it's uh, so often we appeal to authority for the truth, though, don't we? We just ask somebody who knows more than us, and they tell us, and we go, okay. Mm-hmm. It's right, not, but- not verified at all. <laughs> that's trust oh boy. you can go down all, you fucking turtles all the way down if you want to verify it to the to the foundations of existence imagine that though if we you know it, it, it's interesting it's <laughs> that we could 
that you would have to do that. Like, obviously we, we have relationships. We rely on those relationships. We trust people Yeah. to give yeah. us the truth. And, and sometimes the truth is, uh, is, you know, whatever the truth happens to be, as long as it's useful in that moment too, like it matters in the moment, I guess. I don't know. But anyway, <laughs> that's that. Lots of, uh, if you want to go down a rabbit hole, go read truth in philosophy. Beautiful. But, all that said, we have concluded our coverage of Chernobyl, Matthew, and it has been glorious. It has been Fun. glorious to cover. Fun, and, depressing uh, ride. <laughs> yeah, depressing, fun, thought-provoking, uh, uh, you know, heart, heartstrings, uh, cool moments. But it's, uh, it, was, it was very good. A very good show. And uh, we should probably get over some listener comments and then, uh, and then call it a night. Indeed. Now, I know that you posted some, uh, give me some uh, listener comments on this. And I know for some reason, when you're looking at it on the computer, super annoying, it doesn't give you, it says 11 comments, but you can only see two. I don't know why that's doing that. Facebook, fix your shit. But if I pull it up on my phone, I can see all the comments. So that said, I think it's time to send the show off with some listener comments. All right. Are you ready? Yes. I got one. Go. I got one from Miss Anna Brown. And she says, Hannah Brown. Hannah Brown, so British. Sorry, Hannah, I didn't practice my Peaky Blinders voice, but she says, I loved the way they chose to show how the situation developed with the red and blue cards so that even a complete novice would be able to grasp the circumstances that led to the disaster, all of which were delivered note perfect by Jared Harris. But the moments that stayed with me were the notes in the epilogue and discovering that even though those three divers had to go into that water to turn those valves right under the core, it's revealed that they're all still alive. And I did cry when I read that Ludmilla lived on to have another child. Even after all this horrible tragedy, life has managed to go on. Incredible. Mm, that's a great point. We didn't really talk about, sh- about Ludmilla. But Ludmilla. also, what a hilarious thing, which is... <laughs> <laughs> Holy shit, I'm having an epiphany. I'm about to undermine the whole show, ready? Oh, fuck. Here we go. The whole show posits that, you know, truth is there. The science is telling you to pay attention. Don't mask the truth. This is the truth. Accept the truth for what it is. And the truth, as given to Ludmilla, was you'll never have children. Mm-hmm. By doctors and True. scientists. And she did. So, I guess, fuck the truth. <laughs> Thanks, show, for ruining it with that one sentence. that's it there is no truth no god no idols no afterlife that's it abandon everything i'm poking holes in your show mason i'm poking holes in it i'm just teasing but um it's easy to destroy than to create is that all you do is destroy mate you can't create (laughs) fucking critics oh fuck my phone closed it's annoying want me to read another one nope I don't. I don't want you to read another one, actually. Uh, fine, then. Fine! Um, Cranky boy. <laughs> I'm not. I'm good. I'm happy, baby girl. Uh, Maja Katunin, our friend from Finland. Yeah. Is it Finland? I'm pretty sure it's Finland. Pretty sure. That's yep. where my boy Tukarask is from. All right. So many chilling, gut-wrenching, and emotional moments throughout the series, but only the very end made me tear up or weep like a child, more like. Legasov's final words in the epilogue wrapped it up in such a powerful way, leaving an eerie kind of emptiness lingering in the air. That line, what is the cost of lies, has been stuck in my head since, as it must be for so many others, as it should be. I agree with you, Masha. I think it's very important. I am, I truly believe, uh, I think I quote, uh, I 
our, our favorite captain, John Luck Pickard, one of our favorite captains anyway, when he says things like honesty is the best policy, right? But, but too much truth can be disastrous, which is why well, you do look fat in that dress. <laughs> Quite fat, actually, compared to the, you did three months ago, actually. You gained significant weight. Um, I can see the, the circulation in your feet being cut off because your shoes seem smaller, but they're not. You just got fatter feet now. Wow. That was probably <laughs> unnecessary and lacked tact. You're being an asshole, to be perfectly <laughs> frank. And that's probably the disastrous truth Picard was referring to. Um, but yes, I, I always find that in my life that lies at worst are, are cause devastation and damage and, and at best outside of white lies, like don't worry about Santa Claus, right? Like there are white lies, they're fine, but, but they're just giant wastes of time and resources. Right. Right. Lies are such a waste of time and resources. And, and a lot of those emotion, a lot of those resources are emotional resources. And, and it's, and it's really insidious. And I know this is really small scale compared to what the show is trying to talk about, but the inability for people to just say, no, I don't feel like going over tonight. I feel like staying home. People can't <laughs> even do that right. because they don't want to offend somebody. So they white lie that person making up a lie, causing a little bit of stress to themselves, unless they're sociopaths and they don't care. And then the other person probably doesn't truly believe them anyway. And at the end of the day, that person probably wouldn't really care if they just told them the truth, unless they are insecure and erotic psychopaths. If I say I don't want to go to your cookout, I'd rather stay home today. I have some stuff to do. And that and, 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 I, and that doesn't work and I feel compelled that I have to lie to you about this, then that's a fucking problem, you know? Right. You have, you have to be able to be honest with people. And, 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 so much on, and so much of honesty starts right there, just basic interactions every day. Um, the average amount of lies told in a day is like insane, man. There's so many told in a day. <laughs> and not just lying, lie. but outright obfuscation of the truth. That's a problem. Yeah, you yeah. Know? And look, there's diplomacy, there's decorum, there's tact, all of these things matter, but it's, it's important, man. It's important to have, it's important to have truth, I think, because why waste time with anything else? There you go. The least time wasting. Yep. All right. I got one more I'd like to read from Mr. Uh, Mark Stepanek. On first watch, while it was riveting and phenomenally acted, it felt like too much exposition, uh, although the cutting back to the incident itself was very interesting. On second watch, it's all pretty much brilliant. We, along with the non-scientific party members seated way up there, needed to learn what the consequences and costs going forward really were. In a strange way, I'm not put off by nuclear power, fusion, as a source of energy in the future. You just can't cut any corners, which means it will be more expensive than current energy sources for a while. Um, that's one of the interesting things about the show too. And I know Craig Mazin was going out of his way to be like, I am not trying to scare people away or make a panic about nuclear power on the show because the weird fact of the matter is nuclear power is the safest form of power. There are way more deaths related to coal and brown coal and oil every year than nuclear power. It's actually incredibly safe. But uh, the accidents when it happens are just fucking horrific looking. <laughs> so it freaks us out. Right, right. Yeah, those those numbers rarely hold any weight with people. Oh, I know. <laughs> those numbers very, very rarely hold any weight with people. <laughs> and see, that's another funny thing about truth right there. Like, that's the truth. That's the stone cold truth of it. There it is in straight up data, but it doesn't have the same visceral punch of reality that 
seeing be, be, something does. Right, because emotionally we we say to ourselves, but we don't want it, but but because we always go to the worst possible outcome of of that truth. The, right, the fact that, that it's much more that's much safer that the accidents aren't even close. The accident the accidental deaths, I mean, the numbers are really fudged on Chernobyl. We understand this. Uh, Chernobyl is, is right. uh, we listen, we can't control what Russia decides to do. But at the end of the day, in, within our own borders, those kinds of numbers rarely hold weight with people. They don't, you know, you start, you, you, without even getting into it, but you start looking into homicide death, you start looking into uh, drunk driving death, you start looking at the numbers. People yeah. don't want to look at the numbers. <laughs> They'll just say because scarier. 200 is too many. Or whatever the fucking number is, whatever the whatever it happens to be, they it's irrelevant unless mm-hmm. it's something that they understand emotionally, that they can see the utility of, that they believe in principally. Right. Um, if even that, man, we we and don't dude, think see, principally; we think emotionally. No, big time. that's and that's a big reason that lies have so much power. They they tickle our emotions. Like mm-hmm. lies get stuck in us so much easier than complicated truths. A simple lie that is emotionally riveting is way more effective than here's the actual truth in numbers laid out very plain and not all that interestingly. Right. Like uh, a lot of times lies because they are constructed versus the truth, which just is are not as interesting and not as memorable. Right. Lies, lies got flair. Yeah. Yeah. That's funny. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And sometimes a counterpoint to that is truth is stranger than fiction. Right. You hear that a lot, especially when people are like, no, this really happened. This crazy Chernobyl story you're seeing. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. That's why this was a good, a good outlet to focus on that idea of, of truth and its meaning and its, you know, persistence of like, look at this fucking crazy story. And this is real. Yeah. Pretty crazy. There we go, man. Are we tapped? Yeah, man, it's uh, it's just important to note that, you know, it's um, I'll use this as a very brief opportunity to, to soapbox a little, and I understand that, um, you know, the 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 governments the world over get no quarter from me. If you've ever listened to the show, you know that LSG is not a political show at all, so I'm not even going to get political, other than to say I uh, apolitical, I guess is what I'm saying. And in terms of truth and and or lies and or deceit. If you spend any time investigating any administration all the way back to Abraham Lincoln, you're going to find a lot of fucking lies. And, <laughs> uh, and, uh, and they don't know, like, like, <laughs> like, like the truth, Matthew, which doesn't care about governments, the lie doesn't either. They're all perpetuated Indeed. by people. And um, the, the system incentivizes this thing, these things. And some systems incentivize them more than others. And uh, it's fucking scary, and it's unfortunate. And um, yeah, man, that power is a, is a dangerous is a dangerous concept to me. Always has been, but um, yeah, man, truth. Yeah, man, just work on the truth. It's easier that way. There Cut through go. all the bullshit. It's much easier. Yeah. But uh, Chernobyl, dude, what a hell Oof. of a fucking show! Hell of a show. Can't believe they got us this interested in the ins and outs of fucking nuclear reactors. <laughs> It's pretty it's cool. amazing. That's amazing. It's really cool, man. I dig it. You know, we know what the Great scram story. button does. Now we know. I know what the scram button does in Star Trek. It dumps the warp core. <laughs> well, <laughs> that's kind of similar, I guess. It is. It just, 
If oh yeah, because imagine if you're if you if essentially just think about it this way: your nuclear reactor, you're flying around in space. Let's say Chernobyl was a starship, Matt, <laughs> and you're flying around in space with your giant nuclear ship, and this thing started to shit the bed. The AZ five button would just be opening the doors and it falling out away from the ship. <laughs> just that's a- <laughs> essentially that's what it is in Star Trek. There's like yeah, dump the warp core. <laughs> Farted on out of here. Hope we're not near a star system that will destroy. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, we're gonna destroy the conf- the gravitational constant in the star system by blowing up a planet accidentally with our warp core mishaps. Way to go, Jordy. Way to go. <laughs> so that's Chernobyl. That's Chernobyl, basically. <laughs> Bring it back to science fiction. Beautiful. All right, buddy. Tell these good people goodbye. Stay safe. See you next time.